Welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum, Matt Levine, and we're breaking down all of our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy. Traditional kaiju creature features, space invaders, anything and everything. If it's a strange beast, it's welcome at this camp. So thank you for hanging out. Gotta give a quick shout out to banditsemporium.com, the official t-shirt partner of Camp Kaiju, where you can shop all sorts of monster-inspired t-shirts featuring vampires, and Frankensteins and Godzilla, of course, with more to come. Banditsemporium.com, as they say, we sell shirts. Hey, as Camp Kaiju says, they can't be everybody. Very excited to talk about Rodan and also want to welcome Frank, our very special guest tonight. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Excited to talk about Rodan, uh, which I consider to be, not to give away the, uh, the part at the end where we give our ratings and everything, but I consider this to be if not equal to, then at least like the one B to like Godzilla and King Kong as far as giant monster movies go and doesn't get the, uh, the love that it deserves. So it's time to put some respect on Rodan's name. <laughs> I think that is so well put uh, this. I think this, okay, <laughs> let's not talk about the end right now because <laughs> I was also about to uh, just tell you how I feel about it. Um yeah, so before we get into the synopsis and the production history, everybody, I just want to say uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social medias. You can follow us wherever you podcast. Um, we just are really grateful for your support and uh, for enjoying Kaiju Lai all month long. We've been talking about classic Kaiju films, mostly from Toho, and this is the, the capper of the month, so... Uh, I think it's a good one to to end Kaiju lie on for this year. So Matt, do we, should we go into the synopsis or should we talk about our personal histories with this film? Well, Frank, maybe I'll turn it over to you. And if you have a personal history with the film and like want to introduce yourself a little bit and like uh, your sort of film background, you're more than welcome to. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as my film background, I'm just, you know, former film studies major, uh, went to college with Matt and everything for some of that, um, which has, you know, prepared me for <laughs> a career in uh, telesales, selling <laughs> welding, welding supplies and, and safety supplies to businesses. So <laughs> I can relate <laughs> but, to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as my background with the movie goes, though, um, I actually, you know, as far as kaiju movies go, I hadn't seen really a ton until a few years ago. You know, of course, I'd seen like Godzilla and some of the like big classics that kind of everyone's seen. But so Matt and I are in a uh, like a Facebook movie group as well, where just people kind of post about what movies they've watched recently and things like mm -hmm. that. And uh, there's one guy in that group with us uh, who I don't know personally, but he seems like a good guy from the group named Todd Temperley. And uh, he would always post about these kaiju movies. And one one time several years ago, uh, back around Halloween, Turner Classic Movies was showing a bunch of kaiju movies and I was like okay I'm not gonna have time to like watch every one of these but like I'm gonna ask this Todd guy like which are the ones I have to see and he kind of gave me a list and uh out of those I picked I don't know six or seven or whatever that I DVR'd and uh of those Rodan was definitely my favorite of the ones that I watched um just thought it was really compelling for reasons that we'll we'll get into here and uh yeah, it just really stuck with me. So when uh, when you guys gave me the invite to come on, it was 
it was one of the first things I thought of. And I thought, well, surely you guys have already done an episode on this one. And you hadn't when I looked through the archives. So it was like, great. Let's go down. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic, Frank. Um, my experience with the film, <laughs> uh, just from the uh, like the past two years, honestly, I've seen it three to four times in the past two years. When I started this podcast, I sought it out as one of those lesser known hidden gems. And it, and it certainly was that. And I just fell in love with it from the moment I watched it for reasons we'll get into. Yeah, I would just say that I, you know, I was introduced to Rodan, I guess, in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, which, you know, he has like kind of a bit part in that. And it's sort of like a little bit silly, uh, as we talked about in the episode a little while ago, as much as I love that movie. But I was not really prepared for how kind of um, maybe bleak is too strong of a word, but like, yeah, like serious minded this movie is at times. And uh, I, I really like the, you know, the creature Rodan a lot. And I... Although it's unfortunate that he never really appeared in like his own, or, you know, there are two of them in this film, but like in their own or his own um, standalone film after this, like, I feel like maybe what else could you do with that after this movie? Like, I feel like it's hard to improve upon, you know? That's a good point. Um, so with that, Frank, you're the guest of honor. You can take it away. All right. Well, in a small mining village near the foothills of Mount Aso. Two miners named Goro and Yoshi have gone missing after the mine in which they were working flooded. The men had brawled earlier that day and had some kind of ongoing feud. The mine's safety engineer, Shigeru, descends into the mine to investigate and finds Yoshi's mauled corpse. A doctor analyzes Yoshi's body and discovers that the cause of death was a number of gashes caused by a sharp object. The miners begin to suspect that Goro killed himself. But two local miners and a policeman are also attacked in the flooded mine shaft, and the wounds suggest that they were slain by whatever killed Yoshi. That night, Shigeru and his fiance Kyo are attacked at their home by a Meganulon, a giant larval insect. The police start hunting the creature, and it kills two men before fleeing into the mine. The dead men's injuries suggest that the larval insect creature also committed the earlier killings. Shigeru, along with some soldiers and police officers, descend into the mine and discover Goro's corpse, then are chased by the insect monster. Shigeru crushes the monster with a runaway minecart, but soon a second giant larva appears. The tunnel caves in, trapping Shigeru in the mine. A doctor named Kashiwagi identifies the monster as a Meganeuron, an ancient species of dragonfly larva. An earthquake strikes the area and people begin to believe that the volcanic Mount Aso will soon erupt. The police discover that the road into the mine has been blocked by damage from the earthquake. They also find Shigeru with amnesia <laughs> wandering around the area. As he tries to recover his memory, a nearby airbase in Kyushu receives a report from a fighter pilot that a UFO is performing impossible aerial feats at supersonic speeds in the area of Mount Aso. The flying object soon overtakes the fighter pilot, destroying his plane and killing him. The airbase gets word that planes in Okinawa, the Philippines, and Beijing were taken down in a similar fashion. Meanwhile, a married couple has gone missing near Mount Aso. When the police investigate the married couple's photographs from their camera, they discover a massive wing, which suggests that the flying creature is a pteranodon. Shigeru still has no memory of being trapped in the mine. But when Kyo shows him the eggs that her pet birds have lain, Shigeru suddenly remembers. In the cave, he was surrounded by hordes of Meganeuron. 
There was also a giant egg in the middle of the cave from which Shigeru watched a massive bird emerge. His amnesia now gone thanks to the traumatic memory, Shigeru heads back into the mine and discovers a piece of the colossal egg. Dr. Kashiwagi examines the egg and confirms that it is from a pterosaur, uh, basically like a pterodactyl type creature, which the doctor names Rodan. He also hypothesizes that nuclear bomb testing may have awakened Rodan from its slumber. Rodan takes flight near Mount Aso and heads toward Kyushu with planes from the Japanese self-defense force hot on its tail. After one of its wings is injured, the monster flies to Fukuoka, laying waste to the city with the windstorms caused by its wings. Suddenly, a second Rodan appears to join its mate. They finish devastating the city and fly back to Mount Aso. The military comes up with a plan to fire at the base of Mount Aso, burying the two Rodans under the rubble. They do so, instigating a volcanic eruption. The first Rodan's wing is damaged in the lava and volcanic debris. A crash lands into a pit of lava and burns alive. The second Rodan dives into the eruption, apparently unwilling to continue its path of destruction without its mate. Yeah, uh, that was great. I just want to mention, or I think, I believe the pronunciation is Meganulon with an L Mm. rather than Uh Meganuron. We should probably apologize to anybody if there's any like Japanese listeners for all of the, the mispronunciations there. I realized as we were reading it, I should have like looked up how to pronounce some of the stuff. But yeah, mispronouncing Meganulon is the least of our worries. Yeah. <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah. Just uh, an umbrella. Sorry for all of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a very tragic ending, I think, to this movie. It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a very fun movie, but it's a. Uh, pretty bleak and i I think we kind of definitely feel for the rodan creatures at the end which is what i when the first time i watched this movie i was not i was not prepared for an emotional uh uh i cried at the end what else could i say (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very touching i don't you know uh not to get ahead of ourselves too much but um you know like the the end with the Rodan creatures is kind of like paralleled by Shigeru and his fiance Kyo sort of very sadly and tearfully sort of embracing each other. And mm. I just think it's very unexpected that the movie would kind of draw a parallel between the human characters and the two monster characters, which I think goes a long way in developing a lot of sympathy for them. Um, I completely agree. In the role of Shigeru is Kenji Sahara, who... I love as a performer. He has appeared in more Godzilla films than any other actor. Yeah, so we also, the movie also features Yumi Shirakawa as Kyo. She was dubbed the Japanese Grace Kelly. Uh, we have Akihiko Hirata as Dr. Kashiwagi. He starred as the troubled Dr. Serizawa in the original Godzilla. The director is Ishiro Honda. He directed the previous films featured on our Kaiju Lai uh, Kaiju Festival those being Ghidra, the Three-Headed Monster, and Terror of Mechagodzilla, and the music by Ikiro Ifukube. I always fall in love with his scores. Is that just me? I don't no. know. Uh, d- definitely one of the MVPs of these uh, these Toho-era kaiju movies, for sure. And this, this has a particularly good one, too, I think. Particularly good score by him. I-, I feel like we need to mention him every time because his scores are always fantastic. They say so much. like They just, they just add so much character and flavor to the film. So we'll go into the production backstory. Before we do that, I will tell you all about BanditsEmporium.com, the official t-shirt partner of Camp Kaiju. 
where you can find monster inspired t-shirts. If you buy a t-shirt, you can support this show directly. Part of the proceeds go to us, uh, which is very great when we're hosting guests like Frank. Uh, it costs, it costs a little bit to, to host this sort of stuff. So we do appreciate that support. So banditsemporium.com. As they say, we sell shirts as Camp Kaiju says, Matt, what does Camp Kaiju say? Camp Kaiju says, we talk monsters. That's it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and may, may I just say, if you need a shirt that you can wear both on the runway and in the boardroom, the Camp Kaiju shirt is a, is a great choice. Ooh, there's an endorsement. <laughs> That's what we were going for. That's good to hear. I'm going to wear a Camp Kaiju shirt in the boardroom tomorrow and see how it goes. I'll report back <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> It may end disastrously. We'll see. <laughs> um, okay, so like we said, uh, this was the first movie to feature Rodan the the monster. This was actually not only was it the first to feature Rodan, it was the second. I believe it was the second of Toho's kaiju films. It followed Gojira from 1954, and another first. This was Toho's first film in color. I believe you're right. And it's, it's a very beautiful movie, I think. I love the color cinematography. It looks great. Yeah, make, makes excellent use of color. And I, yeah, it's, it's got the sort of beautiful, like, muted tone to it that, well, fits and helps create the ominous tone. of the movie. Definitely agree. And I, especially in contrast to Terror of Mechagodzilla, which I feel like was a little bit, like, dark and gray and, like, there didn't seem to be a lot of attention paid to... The cinematography in that movie like to to go from that to this there are just so many striking really beautiful shots which almost look like pastel a little bit um like light yellows and like light greens and stuff like that it's just yeah. a very very beautiful movie and now that we're talking about it it is like yeah frank how do they get that color because to me now that we're talking about it it does have like a, a a very cream tone to it um it was filmed in eastman color which i know <laughs> like quite a few other movies had at that time uh, it was processed in Far East Laboratories in Tokyo, Japan. So I don't know, like, if any kind of, like, combination of just, like, the processing and, like, the stock itself, like Frank said, like, yeah, it looks very unique. And I feel like just the convergence of those, like, technical, like, specifics really kind of lead to a very distinct look. And coming from Gojira, which was so starkly black and white, which was really shot well in black and white, and then they move into color just as effectively. Yeah, very impressive. Um, so this is director Ishiro Honda's personal favorite of his own monster movies, which I thought was kind of interesting. The story is by a novelist named Ken Kuronuma, who was inspired by the death of, a, of an American pilot in Kentucky who blacked out and crashed his plane and died while pursuing a UFO in 1948. It probably was not Rodan, but who knows? <laughs> maybe it was. <laughs> um, um, oh, sorry. Take it away. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I was going to talk about the title of the film. So I don't know if you guys know this, but a trivia about the film is in Japan. It is called The Monster and the movie is called Radon. But when it was translated for American release or at least English language release, it was the translators who who switched the A and the O and titled it Rodan. Uh, reasons for that. I don't know how much of this is factual, but... Uh, radon is a radioactive material and maybe someone made a decision to lessen the connection to the radioactive suffering that Americans inflicted on the Japanese. 
Um, and you can still hear it in the film. Uh, some of the characters still refer to the monster as Radon. You know, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more later, too. But I think the connection to, you know, the atomic bombings in Japan during World War II by the United States is kind of like evoked in some ways in this movie. Like I, yeah, it's, uh, you know, sort of like Gojira. It raises like very kind of striking like parallels to that in sort of unexpected ways. It's a very sobering theme. Yep. Uh, right in line with Honda and Toho's post-war messaging for sure. Yeah. So yeah, the Rodan creatures were brought to life by a slew of scale-flying models and puppets for Rodan's upper half. Four actors inhabited the massive six-legged Meganudon suit, uh, which looks awesome. I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, (laughs) but it looks so cool. And whatever actors were inside of there did a fantastic job. And yeah, I guess just the last thing about like the production backstory, this is more a little bit about the reception of the movie, but it did extremely well commercially in Japan and overseas as well in the United States. It grossed an estimated $450,000 to $500,000 during its opening weekend uh, in the United States and remains, you know, kind of one of the more successful and popular kaiju movies uh, outside of Japan, uh, I think, throughout, throughout Toho's kind of creation of all these movies. So pretty impressive. Which again makes it interesting that it didn't sort of spawn more sequels and, and spinoffs of its own. Yeah, I wonder if maybe like, you know, after this point, I think in like the early 60s, they started to get maybe a little bit sillier, a little bit campier. And that's not always a bad thing. But I wonder if that's kind of what led to like the lack of Rodan prevalence in later movies, you know, because at least in this case, it's, it's kind of like a stark character. Yeah. yeah. And to what you said earlier, Matt, what more could you do with this character? alone i think i think maybe in some ways it was natural that he would just get paired off with godzilla otherwise he'd probably just be fighting his own monster enemies in his own string of films which would not be a bad thing necessarily no not at all yeah, I'd, i guess he's, he's maybe the least like uh cuddly of the kaijus i guess like <laughs> yeah. like with uh you know like with godzilla you you could sort of put like a human face to godzilla a little bit or you know kind of ascribe human characteristics to Godzilla a little bit that that make it easy to make him like a good guy and in future movies and stuff or to have him team up with people whereas yeah Rodan's just kind of a a nasty monster so yeah I I guess maybe it's just a more limited character in that way that's a great point Frank because even this is this is getting into like what was established in Ghidra the three-headed monster the personalities of each and you're right Godzilla is that that human hero Mothra is all about peace and tranquility and Rodan is the the snarky one in the group. <laughs> I think even in like Godzilla King of the Monsters from sorry from 2019 those the the kaiju in that was were they were not depicted anthropomorphized but Rodan was still portrayed as like fire monster very sharp and and gritty which is I think is in line with how we've come to think of the character. Yeah, and I think sort of like retrospectively, maybe that's what that's what I like about him personally so much. Like he's he's just mean. There's not like really like an attempt to like, yeah, like Frank said, like make him like cute and cuddly. Like he's he's a monster and he's like all about destruction. And yeah, uh, and that, that kind of changes in the last couple of minutes of the movie. But it's kind of like a refreshing uh, purity almost or like simplicity, you know, like I admire the fact that he's he's just a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this one, though, he's a bit of a lover, too. Both of them. There are two. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I mean, you know, if you guys want to bring up any themes that you noticed from the film, you can. I can, I could bring up one that comes uh, 
early on in the movie are the the references to uh, global warming or you know the theory of global warming as uh, you know one character says near the beginning i remember when i first saw this back in 2019 that caught my eye right away because i for some reason in my head i had thought that uh the whole idea of global warming wasn't really introduced until like the seventies and, you know, this movie coming out two decades earlier, I, that just kind of caught my attention because I had no idea that that was something that, uh, that was a point of discussion at that point. First time I watched this movie, same thing caught my eye. Cause I was like, Oh, it didn't start with Al Gore. Like in my mind, <laughs> global warming is such a recent thing. And it's like, people know people, scientists in the fifties were talking about it. Why has this never been addressed then if we've known about it for so long? I feel like, um, you know, a lot of these early kaiju movies, Gojira certainly in this one, like are, you know, the monsters are kind of like symbolic for man's destruction, like the destruction that humans are capable of. And obviously nuclear devastation is a big part of that. But but yeah, this movie brings in global warming as well. And, you know, I, I feel like the movie kind of like, is a little bit it's it seems cynical like you know early on the scientists are saying like yeah like if the polar ice caps melt then the whole world would be flooded and that would be terrible and then they just like laugh and move on and that (laughs) seems like very intentional and very like darkly satirical kind of you know and like you know now what like 70 years later that's even more kind of like infuriating that like yeah we've known about this for almost 100 years and all you know very little has been done about it so it's a really effective part of this movie's thematic sort of uh core i would say yeah yeah 70 years later that that's crazy i think part of that too is like the fact that the rodans might be awakened by the mining Uh, like i think it's like black diamond mining they say at one point in the movie um so i think the movie definitely tries to make a point to say that like you know humanity's exploitation of the earth's like natural resources has kind of like led us to this point Mm -hmm. so yeah like it is like definitely seems very intentional this like depiction of sort of callous or maybe indifferent humans not really knowing like the negative consequences of like the actions that they have you know yeah i think humanity's effect on nature or relationship with nature for me is the most is the foremost theme of the movie the end with the creature's deaths it's just this sad depiction of of humanity's relationship with the natural world yeah, it's, you know, like, I think this kind of goes back to to what we were talking about before the kind of like darker subject matter that the screenwriter Takashi Kimura, the, the co-writer, um, I, you know, I'm assuming that maybe he was responsible for bringing in some of those themes, maybe not. But uh, but in any case, this movie, like a lot of other Toho Kaiju movies from this era, seems to be a lot more pointed and like pessimistic about humanity's impact on nature. Yeah, I was just going to add about the miners and the and the screenwriters communist affiliations real quick so in the beginning of rodan the miners there's a couple miners who get into a fight and there's some sort of conflict there apparently there was some there was a minor uh, a union revolt i'm not sure the exact details but there was an a worker uprising in that same region of japan that rodan is set in so that could be some recent history that those screenwriters with their socialist leanings are are trying to just touch on a little bit. Yeah, I definitely think the movie's trying to pick up on that a little bit. And I, there's also a shot or like actually an edit early on in the movie that I think is really interesting, too, where we see like a bunch of mine carts kind of like moving 
like um, down into the right through the frame as the miners are kind of like trying to figure out what happened when there's uh, this flood early on in the movie. And that shot dissolves to like a, uh, a moving shot that's like goes over the blueprints and like the engineer's office. Hmm. Uh, so it's like the same kind of camera movement, but it goes from like the lower class workers to like the upper class, like engineers who are away. They're like, they're safe. They're not like endangered or anything. They're not in the mines, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I, like that, just the, the fact that that dissolves seems like very intentional and like the same camera movement, like seems to contrast like the workers and like their, overseers like in a very kind of like yeah political way like these two experiences are like totally separated you know um thought it was a fascinating edit i love that moment there was one more i wanted to to touch on um and matt looks like in your notes you you talked about of course the evoking the devastation from world war ii on civilians evacuating (laughs) from the the monsters descending onto their cities that made me remember um shigura's uh, his shell shock, his his amnesia. There's a scene where they're showing him pictures. They're trying. They bring his fiance into the room. They're trying to jog his memory, and he the and Sahara the performer. He it's just it's 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 so captivating his performance because he doesn't do anything extra, which as a performer can be so hard to do. Like if, if Matt Frank, if I'm like you know. Act like you have amnesia. Lesser, maybe not you guys, but most people might like do silly things like look around the room like, what? Where am I? But Sahara just, he has a stone face, but you can see just in his eyes that he's lost. He's lost in his own mind. And it's it's frightening, honestly. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this little performance that I think uh, I mentioned in the Ghidra episode that... Honda had been in the Japanese Imperial Army himself in the 30s. So as a soldier, he probably saw that firsthand, that that sort of PTSD shell shock uh, look that I just I just thought was a very a nice moment that I wanted to call out. Yeah, definitely the best performance in the movie, at least the best performance of someone playing a human. uh, For sure. He's he's very good in it, especially in that scene that you mentioned. Yeah, there's a, there's kind of a touching moment when Keo, his fiance, comes in and he doesn't seem to recognize her at all. Or maybe he does, but he can't quite place her, you know, it's really effective. And and again, I think like kind of like the love story between them, even though it's not really touched on all that much. And then the I don't know, relationship seems like a strong word, but like the the two Rodan creatures and how they kind of go down in flames together. Like, I just feel like pairing the human story and the Rodan story works pretty well. It makes it a little bit more emotional than I thought it would be. Yeah, there's a lot of care taken in those emotional moments that that I think elevates this movie above just a run-of-the-mill monster movie. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's... Uh, you, I, I admire, like, the thematic ambition of this movie, which, again, like, that's a big part of Gojira and why I love Gojira so much and crops up in some of the other kaiju movies. But, yeah, it's it's very prevalent in this one, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. Well, if you guys are good, we can move on to form and aesthetic. Well, I, I know we already touched on the, uh, you know, the beautiful cinematography and everything, too. I, I wanted to say also that the uh, the sets in the movie are really well done, like the especially the uh, flooded mine shaft. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a kind of set piece fairly early on in the movie where, uh, you know, there's already been some attacks and they're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on and uh you know, some of the miners are going back into 
the flooded area of the mine shaft. And it's, that's a uh, tense and creepy scene, I think, largely because of that setting and just a great sequence. And also some of the things like the, uh, you know, kind of the, the caved in area where you see the Rodan hatch and flashback later on and everything is another, another really great set to very good production design in this movie. Yeah. In that scene, I love how it plays with scale with the, the hatchling Rodan. And then you see it picking up the mega Nulon and it's eating them. And then you go, Oh my God, this Rodan baby is enormous <laughs> because in the previous scene, the mega Nulon, you know, we're, we're on, we're on Sahara's level. So they were huge. Now they're on Rodan's level and they're tiny. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. thought that was really uh, effective. That's such a great way of elevating the stakes too. Cause it's like, we've already seen the, you know, the devastation that the Megan Nulan can cause early on in the movie. And now you're seeing like, Oh my God, this thing is eating those. <laughs> like, yeah. There's something bigger. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you said, to get the scale of that is just a, a great visual representation you know, everything's going crazy. Yeah, I, I feel like there's another good example of that. And it's it's kind of like more model sets than like, you know, human size sets, but still obviously related to set design. But <clears throat> excuse me, it's the moment when like there's an earthquake, which is supposed to be like kind of like a mild earthquake, but like we see the earth kind of like implode on itself. It's a really gorgeous moment and like kind of scary because it's, you know, we don't know what's going on, obviously. And it's like supposed to be like a, Richter scale zero, like the earthquake expert is like, oh, it's a very minor earthquake. But suddenly yeah. we see like, you know, just like these fields just like get sucked up. And it's like, yeah, you realize the scope of it. You realize that something weird is going on, even though we don't know exactly what it is yet. And it's a great way to build suspense early on. Yeah, those fields collapsing in on themselves. I I agree. Those are very impressive models, I suppose, or special effects. I wanted to talk about... The camera work. It's something I, I notice in all of Honda's movies. It's very dynamic. The camera moves a lot. There's, of course, he has static shots, but there's a lot of pans on crowds. There's just a lot of like zooming in for this dramatic heightened effect of terror. I, you know, it's not often that I actually pay attention to the way the camera moves when I watch a movie. It's a habit I'm trying to get more into. But man, Honda's camera moves and it's awesome. Totally. There's like there's a cool shot where um, it's like outside of like a window outside of the engineer's office and it's like kind of moving laterally through like several different rooms. And I think it's like the engineers and some journalists are trying to like figure out what's going on. There's a lot of chaos and kind of just like a lot of commotion. And this shot just like moves laterally from left to right from like one space to the next. Mm -hmm. It's a really striking moment and uh, probably took like a lot of time and a lot of planning to set up, but it's very effective. Yeah, just one more example of elevating it a little bit more. It looks like uh, the movie also makes this is fun. This is, I, I think, where some some campy elements come into the film. Um, the use of jolt or shock with the sudden appearance of a mega nulon. Like you're not expecting it. I guess a jump scare in modern vocabulary. But but yeah, it's just like, oh, shoot, there's a giant bug monster right there in the wall. Yeah, and it's it the way it, it comes into the movie is so great too because up till that point you really haven't seen a monster or anything. They do a lot with um, just kind of building tension, you know, with just kind of hinting at what might be happening, and just kind of giving you like these 
you know, creepy things happening in, in dark shadows or just out of frame or whatever. And then, yeah, all of a sudden this giant, like, centipede-type creature is just uh, bursting through the, the doors of these people's home. That's such an awesome moment. I love that when we first see the monster and it's like, yeah, in this domestic space where we, like, least expect it. It's so effective. I love it. Yeah, and Frank, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the like the the mystery aspects leading up to the 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 reveal of our first monster at least and that's what i love about this movie like you have the kaiju action towards the end with the rodans but in the beginning it's a mystery it's it's a murder mystery at first the clues slowly unfold and build upon each other so then when you get to the mega nulon and then you get to rodan it's like, wait, where did we start? <laughs> what a what a what a thrill ride, really. A slow burn to get to the the monster action that we expect. Yeah, and I feel like the Rodan hatching sequence is a really good example of that too, because Shigeru can't remember what happened. And then uh in the hospital room, Kyo shows him like these eggs that her pet birds have lain, and that like you know conjures his memory. And we there's this incredible scene, I love it where, you know, he, he flashes back to when he's in the cave and he sees Rodan hatch from the egg, one of the Rodans. And it's both a good example of like the, the jolt or the shock because we have not, we've seen like bits and pieces of Rodan during some of the like um, aerial combat scenes where some of the planes are knocked down, but not mm. really very well. So mm. like, this is the first time that we get a good look at this monster and it just like emerges from this shell. Uh, it's really effective. And also it's a good example too of what you were talking about, Vincent, like the camera movement, because there's the character of Shigeru and like the camera sort of like zooms up to him very quickly or maybe tracks up to him. I think it might be a tracking shot, but in any case, like it definitely conveys like, you know, obviously his shock at seeing this happen and even like the shock of him, like recovering this memory a little bit, you know? Yes. Great scene. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about that scene, how I feel about that scene in my good breakdown. Cause it's... I didn't mean to take away your thunder. Sorry. No, no, it's, I, I, we could have a whole, I, I could talk about that one scene for 50 minutes. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> this is such like a tightly constructed movie. Like the plot really is all about the Rodan creatures. And like, even the human stuff is like totally focused on that. It's pretty much all about the miners that are, you know, killed by the Rodan creatures or like the mega Nulons, which I think is in contrast to some of the other Kaiju movies where the humans have their own subplots, which maybe is not super interesting sometimes. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up because this movie is totally focused on Rodan on those two creatures and there's really not like an excess or like filler moment in the entire thing in my opinion maybe a few here and there yeah that's that's one thing I, I really like about this movie in comparison to a lot of other kaiju movies is there's there's really no you know there's no distractions from the matter at hand really so, which you know helps keep that sense of urgency up but also just you know, there, there's no aliens. There's no, uh, <laughs> like, um, I don't know. There's no, like, cute stuff in it for kids or, what, or whatever. It's right. just, it's all very focused. And I, I think, you know, also by just not having anything there for the kids or any, like, silly stuff or whatever, it, it just, it kind of doesn't, uh, it doesn't dissipate the weirdness the way it does, I think, in some other kaiju movies. Like the fact that it has a more serious tone, you know, while still being something where you've got guys in the rubber suits and everything makes it to me more bizarre and more surreal and more interesting. I think it's that contrast between the bizarre and this and the seriousness of the of the other elements. And that line can get blurred in 
like, you know, in other kaiju films. But in this, it's like we have our established world and it gets it gets turned on its head by the this bizarre, these bizarre elements. Yeah. You know, like I I do like Ghidorah. We were talking about this before a little bit. And I find like the human subplots like pretty amusing and like very um, uh, like I'm glad they exist in that movie. But but I think like, uh, yeah, like this and Ghidorah are like maybe equally good in my opinion, but in like completely different ways, you know? This movie's trying to do something totally different than that movie's trying to do. Yeah, and I think Honda does both. He plays uh, very well in both sandboxes. Yeah. If you guys are good, just go into our breakdowns. Let's do it, yeah. Cool. I love two things. I really love the beginning of this movie when we're establishing this mystery, and that mystery is enhanced by Ifukube's score, which is unlike any other score I've heard of his. It's very foreboding and tense and and eerie and it's it adds a lot to that sense of well foreboding really and then i okay i do love the the cave scene with rodan that that whole scene when shigura is seeing the hatchling he just the way it's framed and the way it's shot, there's like even like a wind effect, like blowing his hair a little bit. It's so epic and terrifying. Personally, it's one of the most incredible scenes I've ever seen in any movie. Uh, yeah, for me, as far as the good, I, I mean, we, we've already talked about the great pacing and the plotting and the great production values and everything. Um, I And I would say, too, just how uh, like genuinely eerie the movie is. Um I think is, is really impressive. Um, like we were talking about, I mean, even before the monsters show up, just like, you know, when they're going into those mine shafts, you know, gives you that great, uh, you know, don't go in there uh, type of feeling that you want to get out of horror movies every once in a while. So that aspect of it's great. Um, and it, yeah, there's just, there's a, a number of really good set pieces in here. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, Vincent, that the highlight is the Rodan hatching sequence. And that, that kind of reminds me a little bit of the, um, you know, there's the famous scene in uh, the original version of The Fly, the 1950s version, right at the end with the, uh, the protagonist being caught in that spider's web and, the, you know, the help me, help me sequence. And it's just that that's similar kind of uh, just like nightmare of no longer being at the top of the food chain, you know, Whoa. and just being totally, totally helpless. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just such a great version of that type of scene yeah I, again the thing with the uh mega nulon going crazy early on um and just just causing complete chaos <laughs> i think is, is a, a great great sequence too yeah and and even the uh the big kind of kaiju moments toward the end where the the rodans are kind of they've gone into fukuoka and they're attacking the city and and getting attacked by this the uh the tanks and everything and and everything is smoky and you know, from all of the the gunpowder or whatever is just a, a great version of that type of sequence as well. Yeah, totally agree. I love the connection with the fly. That's an awesome comparison and didn't really uh, think about that, but that is totally true. I love that as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what both of you already said. I would add like the scenes of like aerial combat, uh, maybe a little bit dated in a way, but uh, in like a really beautiful sort of like very careful and like carefully crafted crafted way. Um, like the scenes where the pilots are like trying to follow Rodan and they're like flying in its uh, 
it's contrails like it's sort of like jet stream or whatever you know yeah um just yeah unexpectedly very beautiful love the sort of destruction scenes like you talked about frank and yeah just like the it's a very entertaining movie but also like the seriousness of it and the sort of the, the fact that it's like clearly a product of its time and place you know like um it's trying to deal with like human anxieties and like concerns in the immediate post-war era especially in japan uh it's really admirable and it does that while also sort of crafting this extremely intense and eerie monster movie it's very impressive it does so many things uh so well together um yeah it's it's hard find it was hard finding some bad things for me some things that didn't work um i'm really nitpicking here <laughs> uh like you say matt with the i i agree that the the aerial footage he like the the editing or whoever they they combine like like real footage like aerial footage with clear props airplane props against a blue backdrop mm-hmm. and and it works really well for me with that said yeah you can see strings you can tell that the the cardboard props are a little too stiff uh but but whatever like it's still done really well in my opinion with that said i think the mega nulon creatures as well crafted as those costumes are they do come off rather silly for me and there were some there were some editing things in the beginning like some not even just transitions like within one scene you would see a little jump cut or something that's like oh maybe they were just trying to fix a mistake or something <laughs> the the one thing i had uh for the bad is that i i feel like the uh the revelation that there's a second rodan should be a little more dramatic than or really a lot more dramatic than it is in the movie because <laughs> it the way it comes up is just kind of like oh there's a second one now and it, mm-hmm. it feels like there should be it almost feels like there's like a scene missing or something where you know i i don't know how they would establish this but maybe like okay maybe they shoot the one down and and the humans think that they've won or something and then a, the second one pops up or, or something because the, the way it plays out is just kind of the second one just sort of shows up in the middle of the big battle toward the end and then they're just like oh there's a second one and <laughs> it, it just feels a little little undramatic for what that should be and and in what I think is otherwise a very well plotted and well structured movie. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I don't really have very much in the bad category either. Um, it's hard to hard to think of stuff to, to talk about here. I, I think you know I could almost use a little bit more of the destruction sequences, and that's like maybe a good and a bad thing because that's not really like the main focus of the movie. Like I feel like the payoff of like really only having the one scene in Fukuoka where like just there's it's chaos and like everything is destroyed um like i feel like the movie kind of prioritizes the early scenes which is almost more of like a horror movie where Mm -hmm. you know there are these giant worms and like there's so much building of dread and suspense um so it's not necessarily a bad thing that there aren't more destruction sequences but like how amazing that single scene is in this movie um makes me kind of want more of that you know but then at the same time it probably would be a little bit like excessive and would like sort of mess with the pacing of the movie a little bit so which i think is the thing with movies that are so that are as tightly constructed as rodan sometimes it's maybe a little too quick in its pacing you know what i mean yeah yeah like you could destroy one more city you know i'd be okay (laughs) with that (laughs) we're not gonna not like the movie if you destroy one more city exactly yeah (laughs) 
Um, for, campy was actually even harder for me to figure out. There's a scene with the, there's like a newlywed couple and they are taking a drive on their honeymoon to Mount Asso. I don't know why that's where they go for their honeymoon, but it sets them up perfectly to get killed by a Rodan. So that, that scene I think is meant to be a little incredulous. Like, what are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like going to the crater of like a maybe soon to erupt volcano probably is not the best thing to do on your honeymoon. Right. Makes for some good, good wedding pictures though, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For this section, I just had that the, uh, the tanks toward the end are uh, like extremely fake looking, (laughs) which it's, it's not really a bad thing. It's, it's, you know, charming in a way and doesn't really take away from, from those last scenes in my opinion but it, it's like very clear that they just went to like the toy store and bought some toy toys there <laughs> <laughs> yeah and painted the japanese flag on them i noticed that too yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. O- also I, I i know you guys said that you like the uh the flight sequences and i i don't think they're horrible or anything but i uh, rodan's flight like the way that rodan actually flies around is pretty like stiff and and silly looking too i think yeah, no, you're I, not again, it, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would just add one campy moment, which is sort of close to the beginning when uh, like three or four miners are like going into the flooded mine to figure out what's going on. And one of them dies and they're like sort of dragged underwater, but yeah. they're not really dragged. They sort of just like slowly kind of like sink underwater <laughs> while they're screaming in a very like not, you know, unconvincing way. That's true. Uh, <laughs> that's the campiest moment to me. Yeah, good point. Uh, I, okay, I so, agree, although I, I do think that that scene is like genuinely creepy at the same time. Maybe it's just my own fear of being like dragged underwater by something I can't see or something. <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, that is, it, his, his acting is a little bit silly in that moment. <laughs> Maybe that just adds to the, um, yeah, the disconcerting nature of it. Who knows? Yeah. Matt, do you want to do your favorite part? Sure. Yeah. So our categories are, it's a timeless classic. It definitely stands the test of time. Below that, we have, there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it's great and does stand the test of time. Thirdly, we have, it may be historically significant or just fun, but does not stand the test of time. And last and least, it is not worth revisiting. It definitely does not stand the test of time. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it the, uh, the highest rating. The Timeless Classic uh, stands the test of time. I, I mean, like I, I kind of said at the top, but, you know, I'd, I'd put this right up there with, you know, the original Godzilla and original King Kong as far as giant monster movies go. I, I think it's, it's right up there with those. So definitely one of my favorites in the, the genre. Well said. I also think it's a classic. I think it stands the test of time. It, I think it's 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 themes of global warming are are so uh, ahead of its time. And, and that message is conveyed through such disconcerting dread and horror. I think I think you could watch this movie time and time again and never get tired of it. Yeah, totally agree. This is the first time that three of us all are going to give this the highest rating. Um, it's, it's a timeless classic. It's an amazing movie uh it's it's also one of my favorites that i've seen in the kaiju genre um yeah and you know in a nutshell i would just say like the fact that it's able to make such a a creepy truly suspenseful 
horror slash monster movie while still conveying some pretty fascinating and, and you know, pretty uh, serious minded themes is uh, is really impressive. Um, great work by pretty much everybody involved with this movie. Um, yeah, one of the best that we've talked about so far. And great work to us tonight. That was great. Great conversation. And we're gearing up for next month. We have a couple of thing, couple movies lined up. Uh, Matt, do you want to say more about that? Yeah, well, I know Frank will be joining us at the end of August for Shin Godzilla, which I'm very excited about. Ooh. I have never seen that before. Sounds great. Frank, did you want to say anything about that as sort of like a preview? Yeah, just that, that was one uh, I actually hadn't heard of until uh, all of a sudden my my brother asked me if I wanted to go see it. And, uh, you know, it had like a one night screening in Milwaukee. We went to see it and it was really cool, really interesting movie, kind of an interesting uh, throwback to the old Toho style, even though it's a newer movie. You're in for a treat. Um, I think just as good as Shin Godzilla will be our our next episode. We are featuring the 1995 90s classic Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie <laughs> with our with guest host Armando Rivera. If he's listening to this, you better not back out because now it's <laughs> official. It's just going to be it's going to be a, a good campy time. Frank, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you next month. How exciting. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out. We hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, please tell all your friends about it. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok. Go ahead and check out CampKaijuMovieReviews.com. Oh, and before I forget, BanditsEmporium.com is, of course, the t-shirt partner of Camp Kaiju. You can find all sorts of monster-inspired t-shirts, like I said, anything from vampires to Frankensteins to your favorite kaiju. So give them some love. Helping them directly supports this show. So again, more than anything, we appreciate your help and support. And until next time, stay campy. When he moves, the whole earth quivers and quakes and an abyss of horror opens up. See these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years to devastate mankind.